0: Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Jim Cobray. I have a title of this message called Truly an Abundant Life. And this title is, is something that I need to share with you because when people hear this, they, they think I'm gonna teach on money and all that kind of stuff. Probably the shallowest relationship you could ever have with God is based on money. And even though he talks about it so much in scripture, what you do with it, how you deal with earthly things and the mammon of this world, but he says so much about an abundant life. An abundant life that I'm gonna share with you tonight so you do not misunderstand what I'm going to say is a life that is fulfilled, has purpose, has meaning, has a beginning, has an end, and you know that you know that you know you did what God would have you do while you're on the earth. I mean, you've got one life to live on this earth. Why not seriously live it with Christ. Why not seriously have an abundant life that God has for you? Why do you live a miserable down and out life? Like I've seen so many Christians live so compromised and in their lifestyle, marriage, their home, children, finances, their dreams, their vision, their job, you know, I see them compromised there and they find themselves wondering what happened in the meantime. This message tonight is a great message as we're gonna look at the words of Jesus. So let's pray, let's put our hearts on the things of God and let's find out what God has to say to us tonight. I'm just the mouthpiece, so God wants to speak to you. So get ready for God to speak to you tonight. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We fully aware that the teacher is not a man but the Holy Spirit. So we wanna welcome you, Holy Spirit. Touch us, and heal us, and strengthen us, and encourage us, and guide us, and guard us, and direct us, and motivate us to be all that you would have us to be. You know, Lord, all that Jesus paid for on that cross, we want to be. And Father, we'll give you the praise, give you the glory, give you the honor. We ask you to bless us, but we also ask you to bless all the churches in the Inland Empire that are preaching and hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ right now as we are sharing the word of God here. They're sharing the word of God where they're at. And we ask you to bless them as you would bless us. And God, we thank you now for the anointing to touch our hearts and carry us throughout this week, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody, everybody say amen. amen. Now, let's try that again. Everybody say amen. amen. Even though it's Wednesday night, the sun's gone down, it's raining outside, we just need a little fireplace in here, we could all sleep on the couch. But we don't have a fireplace, so you can't sleep. And so let's enjoy the Word of God. Go with me, if you will, tonight into John the 14th chapter as we look at the words of Jesus. Let them become alive to you. I think God's gonna share some great truths with you. John the 14th chapter. In John the 14th chapter, it's kind of interesting. He's just finished a, a dialogue, if you will, with his disciples about how he's gonna leave and how he's gonna be gone. I I can imagine that was shocking to the disciples, wouldn't you think? They've been walking with him, they gave up everything. Think about it, they gave up lands and homes, they gave up family time, they gave up money, they gave up businesses and all of a sudden the one they've been following, this Jesus is now making statements that he's gonna leave and gonna go on into heaven and things he has to fulfill. They don't understand, like most people in American churches don't understand, and they just didn't understand that he had to do what he had to do to fulfill the scriptures, and also for the prophetic utterances to become alive that were thousands of years old about Jesus. It was amazing, he had such great insight, of course, because he was the living word of God. And so we find that he's just dialoguing with his, um, his uh, disciples. One of the things, if you remember, that Peter says, no, I will never let anything happen to you. And he says, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times before the cock even crows. And you've all known that story that uh, as the crucifixion took place and they, Peter ran for his life, he was frightened. He was confronted by a lot of people and said, you are the disciple of Jesus. No, oh, no, no, and he denied Jesus three times and then all of a sudden you hear the, and you can see it, the, the cock crows, you know, and all of a sudden he realizes Jesus is amazing and it's just a perfect timing. He goes on in chapter 14. Remember, there's no chapters and verses uh, that we find in Scripture. The natural, normal Scripture doesn't have chapter 13, doesn't have chapter 14, doesn't have verse 1, 2, 3, 4. It's all one written uh, epistle, one written, uh, uh, if you will, in this particular place, gospel and uh, it runs all together. So the thought oftentimes goes from the last verse of the 13th chapter, to the first verse of the 14th chapter. Let's read it together, let's take a look at it. And I wanna share it with you, and it says this, let not their heart be troubled. First of all, here's the subject. He's leaving, they're frustrated, they don't know how it's gonna happen. You can imagine the amazing loss they must have felt. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. Stop right there and think about it with me. How many times because of uncertainty in our life do we let our heart be troubled? I don't know how life's gonna work out. I don't know how I'm gonna make it. I don't know what's going to happen in the politics. I don't know how America's going to withstand. I don't know how the economy, how, what happens if my job decides to dry up and leave. And, and we've, we frustrate ourselves over the years of foolish worrying. One of the things that someone asked me now that I'm in my mid-70s, one of the things people ask me all the time, what would you do that's different? I said, hey, you know what I would do is different? I wouldn't worry. I used to worry about everything. Uh, people would call up say, hey, let's go to dinner. I'd go to dinner with them. Debbie and I, we'd sit down and have a great dinner. At the end of the dinner, you know, I'd pick up the bill. And as we're walking out the door, they would say things like, Pastor, we're leaving the church. We're going to go to some other church. And I never will forget how many times that happened to me and how many times I would worry about constantly who was coming, who wasn't coming, who was staying, who wasn't staying. Always worried about those kind of things. You know what I have now inside of me after experience? I don't give a flip about any of it. The one thing I did think when they left after dinner and I picked up the bill is at least they could have done is picked up the bill themselves, you know? And so with that attitude, go. You need to go to another church. I'm at it. So anyway, so I learned how to not worry as I got older. And you'll talk to any of the older people here. You know, God is always going to take care of the situation. Learn that even though there may be a great loss like the disciples are experiencing right now. And a great insecurity in their life. How many times have we have insecurity? We're so troubled. This room right now is filled with people that don't know how they're going to make it. It's filled with people that don't know how something's going to come out. Filled with people that don't know what the future is in store for them. Don't understand things. And there's this troubling going on on a constant basis. Thank God you're right in the right place tonight being in church. Because this is where we find out about this. So he says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Now stop right there. You know, most people will talk to you and they'll believe in God. They don't have a problem in that. I mean, the whole world is saying, we believe in God. Their God's just different than your God. They believe in God. And he says, if you believe in God, you're you're believing in God. Then he comes along and he makes a statement, believe also in me. In other words, he says, in your troubled times, in these times of insecurity, you've got to get off of what the problem is and get onto the problem solver. I want to take you, if I can, I want to hold your place right there And John, the, the 14th chapter, verse number one. We'll come back to verse number two as we come back. And I want to take you, if I may, to, if, uh, to Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 33. By the way, Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 33, is what I built my life on. You know, for some of you that may not know this, Uh, All my children have grown up. They all pastor. My grandkids, uh, two weeks ago, we just ordained our first grandchild in the ministry at a different church. You know it's going to preach. I have um, 13 grandchildren, really 12, one more on the way. For those of you who don't know it, uh, Stacy's pregnant. That's what happens when you move to a cold country and it snows. And... uh, (laughs) And so Stacy's pregnant Well, our 13th grandchild, and we even have a great grandchild. I don't know her very well. I went up to her the other day at a family reunion, and I said, hi, I'm your great grandpa. She was eating, she looked up at me, and she went, kept on eating. I said, I, hi, I'm your great grandpa great-grandpa. She just kept on eating. And I said it a third time, she just kept on eating. Then she looked at me, and she put her head down and kept on eating. And I thought, well, she doesn't even know who I am, but that doesn't mean anything. She's still my great-granddaughter. And so here's the point that I'm trying to make to you tonight. This verse is so powerful. He says, and he tells us something, for every one of us In this room, he gives you a formula right now for success in every area of your life, in your home, your family, children, whatever it might possibly be. Here it is, one verse out of all the whole entire Bible. And everybody can say whatever they want, but this is my favorite verse. Uh, When I first got saved, this is the verse that impacted me the most. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Stop right there. What do we seek every day? See, these disciples are seeking the trouble. These disciples have the pressure on them. They're, They're finding themselves in tribulation. They're finding themselves in a situation that's just simply uncomfortable. And they're, they're actually living this. And Jesus is talking to them and says, don't let your heart be troubled because you're oftentimes troubled in your heart. But if you believe in God, believe on me. And he doesn't say, try me. He doesn't say, suggest, I suggest you, you know, think about me more often. He says, believe on me. And he's going to describe what that means in a little bit later on as we look at the Scripture. But it's fun to see these words. Seek first. We seek everything. You know, when we have problems, we seek the answer instead of seeking God. The answers worked out the moment you hook up with God. Let me say that again. When you have problems, when you have trials, when you have pressures in your life, and, you know, one guy could say, well, my wife just left me, took all the kids and took all the money and I don't have anything and it's raining outside and I'm miserable and I'm down and out and I'm going to sleep in my car night. and I just feel like this is just terrible. What am I going to do? Let me tell you something. The answer, as soon as you get on Jesus instead of the problem, you know, most of the time we got to think about uh, got to get her back, got to get the house right, got to get the children right, got to get the money back. These are the answers of the problems, the natural instead of the spiritual. So he says, seek something. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then the righteousness. Righteousness is the right way, the God's way of doing life. That's what that's really talking about. The right way, he says, and then make sure you practice that right way. And these things shall be added onto you. In other words, all the problems that you want to see solved, all the stuff you need to have, they'll all come as you do something in your life, seeking God first. And that's why tonight when I just gave you a little exhortation about the teenagers and, and, you know, coming to church because your teenagers should see you getting so excited about being in church on Wednesday night that they don't see it as, oh, I'm de- mom's just sitting in there, dad just sitting there because they, they have nothing else to do but pick me up. They should see that this is the best thing they should do. They should know you tithe, know you worship, know you lift your hands, what are you seeking first? And then everything that you want is gonna be added on to you, including the insecurities that you may be facing from time to time. And then verse number 34 comes along. And it says, right after verse 33, there's verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. I mean, why would it come seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that are bothering you, all these things you have lack of, but you have a desire for, they'll all be added on to you, but why do you worry about anything? And that's where we find ourselves most of the time as Christians worrying about stuff, being troubled in our heart about the insecurities of our life, the things we really don't know and can't figure out. We start to worry about them. And he says, listen, don't even, and then he goes on, he says, why do you worry about tomorrow? Today has its own word. Deal one day at a time. Today I'm a person of faith, tomorrow I'll get up and then I'll be a person of faith tomorrow. But I'll deal with tomorrow's problems tomorrow. Don't deal with tomorrow's problems today. Most people take tomorrow's problems today and it's overwhelming to them because they got tomorrow's problems today and they don't even have to deal with tomorrow's problems today. And that's the greatest note you'll ever know right there. And so we come along, and we see this. Remember this in Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse number 28. It says, all ye that are laboring, come, uh, come on to me that are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I mean, God has constantly looked for his people to be at rest. And how do you be at rest? How do you be fulfilled? How do you become successful in your job, in your marriage, your home, children, everything it is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then these, all everything else is gonna add your kids, your finances, your dreams, your vision, your job, your business, whatever it might possibly be that you are believing God for in the future, it'll come to pass. Is anybody listening? Go back with me now to verse number two. And let's just, let me explain a couple of these verses. And then we're gonna go right to the verse that I want to go to for, for later on. In verse number two, it says, in my father's house, there's many mansions. He's talking to them. He says, what are you worried about? The word mansion is, is an interesting word. Uh, The word mansion means dwellings. A lot of times we labor on it. God's going to build me a mansion bigger than your mansion. Billy Graham has a mansion bigger. Let me tell you something. I don't know what the dwelling is. It's probably Jesus. And I don't know how all that works, but nobody really does. All it is is speculations and thoughts, and certainly wouldn't teach it as thus saith the Lord. But I know this. God has a dwelling place for you, and man, you're going to love it. That's such a cool idea. That's what he's telling his his disciples. And he says that in in, in verse number two. He says, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, now listen to the promise. I go, and he says these words, to prepare a place for you. I go, so when God said that, when Jesus said that to his disciples, I would have thought you would have heard a big... problem solved. Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be great, but it doesn't. It actually goes on with more insecurity, more, if you will, questioning God. Do you know when you're insecure, you find out real easy because you start to question God. Where are you? Why isn't this coming to pass? What is this all about? I don't understand this. I went to church last week. And now I've got these problems, how come it's happening? Because God wants to take you to a different place and learn it, he says, I've got many mansions. i will to prepare for you. Verse number three, in verse number three, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. I, I love that, I mean, should have been another, whew, he's promised that he'll take care of all the problems of him being gone. All the insecurity of man, I've I've given everything and now I'm losing everything? Does this mean I get to go back? Does this mean I have to mean I was foolish to do what I did by following him all these years? And now he's telling them something about the future. And that ought to be a great thing for all of us that are standing and believing God today. If you're believing Jesus and you're insecure and you feel like you're frustrated at times, stop and think about this. Jesus is doing something. He's preparing a place for you. And I will come again. Boy, just stop right there. That's a, that's a whole message in itself. I will come again. No one knows a day or the hour when the eastern sky is going to split. But Jesus has promised he will come again. And you can look at all the misery that goes on in this world. But what one day soon, man, the eastern sky is going to split. And Jesus is coming for everyone. Oh, thank God. And that ought to be solving everybody's problem that's in here. Yes, you're going to have problems and trials and tribulation. Yes, there's going to be tribulation. Yes, your heart for a moment or two can fail you. But don't let it stay down. Get back. Jesus is coming for you. And there's something great going to happen in the meantime. I love that. Verse number four, it says this. And when I go, you know, the way you know. He makes it two times and he says, you know, because in verse 13, he told them, you know, you know, I'm going, you know how I'm going and the way that I'm going, you know that. And they've seen Jesus, they've seen the miracles, they've seen the greatness of His power, they've seen Him walk on water, they've seen great things take place, they've seen the raised dead, they see the eyes open, they see all these things, and oftentimes we'll come into a church service and we'll feel the presence of God, and we'll walk out by Wednesday and the presence of God is sucked dry from us because of the world that we're in. And we need to be people that don't last just until Tuesday or Wednesday because we felt the presence of God. They saw it all, they knew it all, they experienced it all, they were right there when He fed the multitude, yet at the same time they're now questioning, are you really going to come back for us? Again, because of their insecurities, and we question God on a constant basis because of our insecurities. Thank God He's a God of long-suffering. And he knows us humans, and I'm not any different than you. I've been there many times myself, but I don't allow myself to stay in that spot where my heart is troubled for long. I got to immediately flip the page and get on to Jesus where I know the answer is not just that he's coming, he's with me today. Come on, somebody. Verse number six comes along, and I love this verse. And Jesus said to them, I am the way. Does he even need to say this to his disciples? I mean, you stop thinking about it. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Whew. I mean, does he, he's now reminding them of something they already have felt as well as experienced. You and I have felt his presence and experienced His love. And we oftentimes, like His disciples, we forget it. And He comes along and He reminds them, and we tonight are reminding you that Jesus is the way. The most important thing for me when I read this is these words, I am. He is. What in the world does that mean? Do you remember, if you will, do you remember when... uh, uh, Moses was before Pharaoh. And, 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 I'm sorry, before uh, God on the mountain. And, and he says to God, I've got to go and consult with the, uh, the children of Israel. I've got to go tell them who sent me. Who shall I say sent me? Because man, I'm telling you, Moses had to get through the doubt of the children of Israel and then go to the Pharaoh. And if he couldn't get through Israel that didn't think much of him, he'll never make it to Pharaoh. So he goes to God and he says, God, who shall I say? What name is your name that I can tell them that you sent me? And what does God respond? I am that I am. And tonight I just want to remind you, That the word isn't John or Joe or Billy or Bob or Juan or anybody else. The name is I am. Which means I am everything. I'm the alpha. I'm the omega. I'm the up. I'm the down. I'm the fulfillment of everything in life. I'm not just somebody with a name. I'm everything that there is that exists, exists because of the power of my word. Oh my goodness. The Bible says he holds it all together. By the power of his might. If it wasn't for Jesus, this world would fly apart into the universe. Every single day. He is, I am. I am is with you every single day in the midst of your insecurities. In the midst of the times of frustration. We forget that all the time. We look at approach to life and we're fearful of the future because we don't know the answer. We don't know how it works out. We calculate, don't we, our our calculations over and over trying to figure out how it's all going to work. Let me tell you something about God. He can, we know that two plus two is four, but with God, two plus two is whatever he wants it to be. Are you following me? He supersedes the natural with the spiritual. I mean no one does what he does. No one calls the dead that is naturally dead back to life or open the blind eyes. His word supersedes what you think is only possible. God supersedes the natural with the power of his spirit. The Holy Spirit. And it's a wonderful thing to understand that the I am is with us today. But I love these next two words. I am And I love this. He doesn't say a way. Put it back up, the words. Put it back up. Verse number six. I am the way. There's only one way. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what politicians tell us. I don't care what the so-called majority agrees upon. I don't care what society says. I'm here to tell you there's only one way. And his name is Jesus. This is not something, well, you do what you want to get to heaven, and I'll do what I want to get to heaven. Or you do what you want to receive the blessings of God, and I'll do what I, you know, it's all going to come out in the wash anyway. There is a, These the, not a, He is the way. And stop and think about what the heck that means. I mean, it's just amazing when you stop and think about what is the way. I mean, the way is interesting because when you're lost, you want to know what the way is to find where you're going. When you don't know how something's going to work, He is the way how things work. When you don't know how marriage is going to work, he knows how to make the marriage work. He's the way. When you don't know how to raise the kids, He'll tell you how to raise the kids. When you don't know how to love your wife or your husband, and, and you, He'll tell you how to do it. He is the way. When you don't know how to make a business work and you're failing, how are you gonna pay your bills, He's the one that'll show you the way. Because He is the way. Is anybody listening to me now? And all through Scripture, man, I could sit here tonight and not teach anything else but that one word, how He's the Word. There's so much Scripture on it. But I just wanna pop a couple of them at you. In Exodus, the 14th chapter, verse number 16, we see Moses. And it's an amazing thing. He's in trouble. He's gotten all the children of Israel out of bondage and they've left with all the wealth of Egypt. His back on one side is against the Red Sea. Some uh, theologian I just read, I just funny because some theologians are really crazy, as a $3 bill. And when someone says they're theologians, it doesn't mean anything because they could be nuts. He said, oh, the Red Sea at that place was only six inches deep. Well, my goodness sakes alive, then that's a bigger miracle than if it was deep because they all drowned in six inches of water. I mean, what an idiot, you know? And there's a lot of people, listen to what the Bible says, say what the Bible says. God is back and they're coming and he can, they said they could hear the chariots coming. They could see the smoke and the dust and all the chariots and their wheels and their screeching and all the sound of the troops coming after them. And in the back is no escape whatsoever. The inevitable truth that is facing him is they're all going to be annihilated by the armies of Egypt in just a few minutes. They are in trouble. Their heart has sunk down but to their stomach. They are in big trouble. You talk about having big trouble. Everything they have is going to be gone. They're going to be chopped into pieces as an example to the rest of the world. And the army is coming after them. And now he finds himself that he has no escape and no way out. That may be you tonight, that you have no way out of where you're at. I'm telling you, Jesus is the way. Are you listening to me? In Exodus, the 14th chapter, my goodness, you guys are too fast. You already put it up. In Exodus 14, chapter, lift up your rod. God says, "Stretch out your hand over the sea cease and divide it." Let me tell you something. When God tells you to do something strange, do it. What the heck it is a rod lifted up in the hand of a man facing the sea? How is that going to divide the ocean? Can I tell you something? Archaeologists. This is true truth. Listen to this. They went back 400 years before they thought it was the time of the Egyptian uh, exodus, uh, the uh, Israel exodus. Instead of it being the time of of, uh, Romulus II, it was during the time 400 years prior to that. And you know what they found in the Red Sea, in the mud? They found preserved, if you will, chariots, all engraved with gold, stuck in the mud, and corroded with sea urgence. Where did they come from? The sea right where they thought it was opened up and took them all. And what I'm saying to you is when there's no way, God makes a way. And he says these words, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground. There wasn't even muddy ground. I can understand that they had to go through mud. You know, it's like Jonah, you know, he's in a whale's stomach and here comes this whale and God tells the whale, put him up on dry land. The, he didn't just barf him out in the middle of the ocean, make him swim to shore. This giant Mediterranean fish, by the way, you can look it up uh, scientifically if you want. There are Mediterranean fish that can house up to 40 men for four or five days at a time in their stomach. That's how big they are. And this fish that's giant, we call it a whale, I don't know what it was, barfs up Jonah on dry land. He didn't even get wet from the ocean. That's insane. God could do what he wants. why? Because he is the way. Is anybody listening? Tonight, you gotta remember this every day because every day you'll be confronted with new situations and problems that you don't know how and what the results are gonna be, but you gotta know the way is on your side. Come on, somebody. Then he comes along and he makes this statement, and I love it, and, and uh, uh, let's just go ahead and look back at verse number six. I am the way and I am the truth. I love that, I am the truth. You know, again, you have to understand that Jesus is confronted by, by, uh, uh, by uh, Pontius Pilate, and he, he is the truth, he says the truth. The, the world has their version of truth, man's version of truth. Let's stop, think about it for a minute. How men calculate things, how they can figure things out. The formulas of calculation, we gather data, we come up with a formula for calculation, and that becomes truth in our life. If it isn't calculated properly out, then it's not a truth. We always look for truth. Man has always been seeking truth. Truth, I said it earlier, it sounds crazy. I understand that. Truth is what God says. It's not what you think. It's not the way I think. I think according to my own fleshly calculations— I gather data and come to a conclusion that I act on based on what I have in my formula. But God doesn't do that. God comes along, and truth is what God says. So when Jesus makes a statement, and notice the statement, he says, I am a truth. No, there's not other truth out there. I am the truth. Are you following this at all? And his word is the truth. Deuteronomy, if you get your Bibles in the 32nd chapter, verse number four, I'm going to conclude in just a minute. Is that okay? It says, he is the rock. His work is perfect. How many do you realize that? That God's the rock. For all of his ways are justice. I love that. Uh, A God of truth and without injustice. Without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. In other words, what he says, that's the way it is. If you do... Oftentimes, what is contrary to your feelings, but you know it's the will of God, you're going to get blessed. But if you only act on your feelings or your source of truth, you miss out on what the power of God is. He is the truth. He's reminding his disciples, the last one he reminds them of, and they ought to know this. He says, I am the life. Man, is there any other life without God? I want you to know this, and I'll put it up on the overhead for you. A lot of people live, but not a lot of people have life. And you should understand that. A lot of people live, but not everybody has life. Is anybody listening? I like this. The purpose of your existence is to obtain real life. The purpose of your existence is to retain obtain real life you can obtain a life based on worldly things without God and the world judges you as successful but guess what God sees you as a failure and so real life comes from God I love what it says in John we all know the verse but I'll read it to you again we'll put it up on the overhead 1010 the thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. We know who that is. That's the devil. But Jesus is speaking here in John 10, 10. His own words say this, but I have come that you may have life. That's the real life. I have come that you may have life. If you're looking for life, if you're looking not just to live, but to have life, man, I'm telling you, there's so much value in that. He says, "But he says, but "I have come to give you life that you may have it more abundantly." And that's what God wants for you. The thief wants to steal and kill and destroy you. But Jesus says, "I have come to give you life, not just life, but living more abundantly. When you know your life has purpose, your life huh, has changed the lives of others around you, changed the families, changed the people you work with, like Pastor Dan was saying last week, changed the existence. Life has been touched by your life because you carried the life of Christ everywhere you went. Oh my goodness, what problems do we have? Let not your heart be troubled. Why should it be when He is? He is the life. He is the truth and he has the way. Has anybody got anything tonight out of the word of the Lord? Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.